welcome to the Access Church Podcast. We're going to get into the Word of God, and today, um, since it is the month of December, we are going to start a new ser- sermon series uh, for December called Joy called joy now you know in in preparation for this this uh sermon series i always love to do research uh i'm I'm kind of an information junkie you know and and so you know one of the things that i I looked at and noticed as i surveyed our our culture and our community that oftentimes we get caught up in pursuing happiness happiness in fact the title of today's message is the pursuit of happiness you know we we get caught up in in pursuing happiness but we as believers we are not called to pursue happiness we are called to pursue joy and why because happiness is elusive happiness is elusive happiness can come and happiness can go and the reality is that just as fast as happiness will come happiness can go and and so in in preparation for this i was thinking like how could i uh, um eloquently and effectively define happiness. Now, happiness, I believe, is an emotion in response to the current outcome. An emotion in response to a current outcome. And, and like I said, happiness is, is elusive. Happiness comes and goes. Happiness can, can be short-lived. And, and now that we are in the Christmas season... You know, we're, we're going to be bombarded by, by commercials or ads. It's funny because my kids have no idea what a commercial is, but they do know what ads are. And, uh, and they're like, even Mike is like, ad, and he just swipes up, ad. Um, you know, for things that we didn't know that we really need, right? Isn't that the whole point of a commercial? Their, their whole objective is to present to you a need that you didn't know you had. For instance, like that brand new iPhone. Not an Android. Those are of the devil. That new game console, that new laptop, or that new set of golf, golf clubs, or the new latest limited edition designer purse or tote. You know, I was thinking about that. How many of you ladies, if, if you're a little bit older, how many of you know or remember when Dooney and Burke was the purse to have? Like, like if you didn't have a Dooney and Burke, like you didn't have the purse. And every all, all the ladies like coming up with their little purse with a little duck on the side, like they were going duck hunting or something. <laughs> but that was like, like that was the purse to have. But nowadays, you can go to the Pulga garage sale and everybody's going to walk right by the Dooney and Burke. Like nobody wants that one, right? From there we went to, from, from there we went to the couch. I mean the coach. Y'all know some of y'all had a couch from the Pulga. The C was backwards. And then you went maybe to the Michael Kors or, and then it was to have a Louis or a Gucci. And now it's not even a purse. It's a tote. Like, if you don't have the tote, then you can't gloat. So, you know, everybody wants that new thing. And, you know, some of my favorite commercials and ads around this time of year are new cars and new truck ads. You know, and, and I love these ads because these ads show the most beautiful people in the most beautiful, immaculate, spotless home with 
the husband or the wife so elated that their spouse gave them that brand new vehicle with that big red bow. And everybody, and you're sitting there and you think, man, I would love that. I need that, right? I need that new car. I, I need that, 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 that new truck. And, and, and you're sitting there and you're seeing, and, and they're representing this emotion. And essentially what they are communicating, that if you really want to be happy in this season, you've got to get that car. You've got to have that truck. You have to have that phone. You have to have that toy. You have to have that game. Or you have to have that pair of shoes. They're, they're trying to communicate... And so here you are watching this, this advertisement of this beautiful family, and I know they look just like yours, in a spotless home that looks just like yours, all happy and elated because they're getting that brand new vehicle with the big red ball. And that's how they get you to sign seven years of your life away. They don't realize along with that big red bow comes seven years of payments. And everyone is happy until you get that call. That call. You're happy. You have the vehicle. You have the car, the truck. Then all of a sudden, you get that call that your loved one was in an accident, critically injured, or even worse. And now all of a sudden, the one thing that you bought to bring you happiness is now the one thing that brought you the worst news of your life. Imagine how, how in a moment, that thing that brought you happiness and joy is now bringing you sadness and, and sorrow. And, and so happiness is an emotion in response to the, the current outcome. And, and one thing about happiness, happiness is hard to get your hands on, right? The moment, one moment you're happy, one moment everything is fine. But you know that one call, one text message can turn your happiness into sadness. Happiness is hard to hold on to because happiness is an emotion that is a response to a current outcome. And when that outcome is favorable, when, when, when we get the job that we want, or we get the raise that we want, we get the girl that we want, we get the boy that we want. Dude, sorry, dude, she didn't scream for you. I got I teed it up. All she had to do was hit it out the park. The crickets. Think about it. That same boy that you were so happy is now the one that broke your heart. And you don't want to live anymore. My life is over. Just like that. Happiness is elusive. It, 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 it's a, 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 an emotion that, that is responsive. When the outcome is favorable, the happiness quotient goes up. It goes off the, off the charts. 
off the roof when the outcome is unfavorable then the happiness quotient goes all the way down now i know you're thinking like pastor really this is christmas why did you have to go so graphic and so extreme with that example but everywhere you look in life that's what people are pursuing they are pursuing happiness it's what people do now don't misunderstand me i'm not trying to demonize happiness i believe happiness has its place in our lives and and it can be a good thing but jesus will for your life is not that you would just have happiness but that you would have joy and what is joy a joy that is greater than the circumstances or the outcomes that you would face every day in fact jesus talking about joy he says this i have told you in john 15:11 i have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. See, when you anchor your life in happiness, in the things, in in the cars, in in the possessions, in the job, in the career, even in your health, in your look, just like that, everything can change. And when you anchor your life and your happiness is anchored to the outcomes in life, let me tell you, you are just setting yourself up for disappointment. And so Jesus here is talking about the danger of anchoring your life in happiness. He's saying, I have told you these things so that my joy would be in you and your joy would be complete. In other words, when we have his joy, then our joy is complete. What is his joy? His joy is to take joy in the things that he takes joy in, to love the things that he loves, to have what he has. And he's saying when you anchor your life in joy, in my joy, then your joy is going to be complete. Now, let me ask you this. Who is the most joyful person you know? Think about that for a moment. Who's that the most joyful person you know? Or let me ask you, this is probably an easier question. Who's the least joyful person you know? Some of you, my husband, my wife, my son, my daughter, my boss, co-worker, friends, neighbor, blasting his music. Like, who's the lead? Like, we're, we're so quick to, to know that, that least joyful person in your life. But who is the most joyful person in your life? Let me ask you this question. If I was to ask your family, your friends, your spouse, your kids, who the most joyful person in their lives, would you be on that list? That's a tough one. But thinking about the most joyful person in your life, the most joyful person you know, what is it that they have that others don't? Do they, have, do they not have problems? Well, yeah. Do they not have difficulties? Yeah. Have they never faced death or adversity? Of course they have. I'm sure that those people that are full of joy have dealt with many of the same things that you have faced. More bills than money, marital challenges, chronic illness, and maybe even death. So why is it that in spite of those outcomes, how can they remain joyful is it a personality trait like you just get that that personality trait that god just says okay you're grumpy and you're joyful i know it seems like that or is it i know is it because they have the new iphone maybe they're grumpy because they gave him an android there's a reason why you can get an android so cheap 
Just saying. Or is it because they have that latest designer purse or tote? No, I know. I know what it is. It's because they have the sleep number bed. That's why. Because you get the perfect night's rest and you never get up on the wrong side of the bed. Like, that's what they say. Like, if you get the sleep number bed, then you're going to have the perfect night's rest. That's a big promise to fulfill. Like, and they're, they're saying, take it for 100 nights, and if you don't love it, you can send it back. And they will do that because they know that it's too much hassle for you to send a bed back, and once you bought it, you're keeping it. Is that why people are, are so joyful? Because they have all of the material things. They have no money issues. They have no financial issues. They have no family issues. Is, is that why, is that what makes that person joyful? And so here in John chapter 15, Jesus give, is giving us a clue on joy. So if happiness is an emotion in response to the current outcome, then I'm going to define joy for you. Joy is a durable and permeating gratitude rooted in unchanging outcomes. Durable. What does that mean? That means it doesn't change. That means when life throws you curveballs, when life throws you lemonades, your joy remains. It's, it's durable. It, perse it perseveres. It lasts when times are good. It, it lasts when times are bad. It, it, it is durable. And then it is permeating. What does that mean? It permeates in you and from you. It permeates in every area of your life. But joy is a durable and permeating gratitude rooted in unchanging outcomes. Gratitude is the difference in whether I am joyful or not. But it is a gratitude that is based on the grace of God. The grace of God. What does that mean? That means that I am saved. That means that, that, that I have been brought from death to life by a cross and an empty tomb. And there is nothing that can happen to me in this life that can change that. I am, I am saved and God came and he sent his son to die and, and give me one of the things that I often say, if God never does another thing for me, he's already done enough. If I never get another blessing, if I never get another breakthrough, if I never get another miracle, if I never get another raise, if I never get another car, if I never get another house. If God never does anything else for me in this life, I'm here to tell you that he's already done enough. He gave me life. And so joy is gratitude that is rooted in the grace of God. It is, it is grace that God. Now imagine how we can get so caught up just getting a little bit difference in perspective. We can get so caught up that we forget that he saved us. We can get so caught up that we forget that he redeemed us. We get so caught up in our life's problems that we forget that he paid the ultimate price. For you and I to have life. Imagine for a moment. You're sitting in a lonely cold cell on death row with an execution date already set. You're just waiting for the date to die. And you're sitting in that cell 
You've already been judged. You've already been condemned. And your execution date has already been set. And there you are, all of a sudden, the jailer shows up, takes out his keys, he opens up the cell, and he says, you're free to go. And you're sitting there like, what, like, why, what, no, like, no, I think you have a mistake, I'm, I'm condemned, I've been sentenced, I've been judged, I've been condemned, my execution days, yeah, but someone stepped up and said, they're going to take your place. Now, I can't imagine for a moment that you would ever live a life that was not grateful, I could never imagine a moment, you have the opportunity to go from death to life, to walk out of that cell, to have someone else take your place on death row, someone else take the judgment that was meant for you that steps up and puts their life in place of your life, and now you get to walk out of the cell. Well, that's exactly what Jesus Christ did for you. And so the moment that the devil wants to steal your joy, remember that your joy is not rooted in your circumstance or your situation. It is rooted in the grace of God that you are saved. That's why David said, in 50, uh, Psalm 51, 12, he says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. See, salvation is an unchanging outcome. It doesn't change. It's not affected by the stock market, the job market, or the real estate market. But let me tell you, that's not the only unchanging outcome of the grace of God in my life. I have a second unchanging outcome of grace, and that is called future grace, meaning not only am I saved, but I'm also going to be seated with Christ in heaven for eternity. I have been saved by grace, and I have a seat in heaven. I have, I have been saved and I have a seat. So it is the cross and it is the crown. It is present grace and future glory. It is grace and glory. So not only have I been saved, I'm saved now, but I have a future seat in heaven with Jesus Christ. And I believe that those two graces should be enough to produce gratitude in your life and a gratitude that should permeate from every area of your life if he never does one more thing if he never pulls you out of a bind i believe he's already done enough and so J jesus here in in john chapter 15 he says, I have told you these, I have told you this, I have told you these things. What is he talking about? In, in John 15, 1, listen to what he writes. He says, I am the vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Verse 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Imagine that. If you remain, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Verse 8, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now, 
now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this so that my that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. Verse 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. So Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm telling you all of this so that my joy will be in you and that your joy will be complete. I'm telling you all this, the vine, the branches, the fruit remain so that my joy will be in you and that your joy may be complete. What is joy? Joy is a durable and permeating gratitude rooted in unchanging outcomes, mainly the cross and the crown. But now here we have a text that speaks to what true biblical joy is and So I've got to scrap everything I know, and I have to go to what the Bible says. So let's look at, at the biblical word joy. In the Greek here is the word kara, which literally means joy or gladness. Now, in its usage, it means a source of of joy. Now, now, kara is what we call in, in biblical theology a cognate, which is a cluster of words that come from the same root. And the root word is car. Now, car means extend favor, lean towards, be favor, favorably disposed, properly the awareness of God's grace, favor, and joy. And joy means grace, recognize. So joy is a durable and permeating gratitude rooted in unchanging outcomes. I, I know what I am rooted in is the fact that I am saved and I am going to be seated with Christ in the heavenly realm forever. So when Jesus says his joy is going to be in me and to make my joy complete, he uses the word kara. So here in the cognate, the etymological link here in these words is, is kara. It's is caro, which means rejoice. Now, this is a word that Paul used when he wrote, rejoice in the Lord again, always, I say rejoice. So rejoice means rejoice because of God's grace. Rejoice because you have already been given grace in your life. You don't rejoice based on the circumstance. You, you rejoice based on unchanging circumstances. And then Jesus says our word, kara, which is joy because of grace. Now the third word in the cognate is, is karis, which is the actual word for grace. So where does joy come from? It comes from being rooted in grace and being rooted in grace produces gratitude in your life. Gratitude for what he has done and gratitude for what is to come. Knowing no matter what you go through in life that his grace is sufficient. In fact, that's what Paul was writing about in 2 in Corinthians chapter 12 verse 9. And in this passage, Paul is dealing with what the, the, the King James Version calls a thorn in the flesh. Now, it doesn't literally mean that he had a thorn sticking in his side. It is a Hebrewism, much like the, the, the phrase that we would say, well, so-and-so is a pain in the neck. Don't turn around. You know who we're talking about, right? It doesn't literally mean that they're stepping on your neck, giving you pain. It just, it's, it's a Hebrewism uh, that, that speaks to something that he's going through. 
And, and Paul, in this passage of Scripture, he's dealing with this. We don't know what it is. We don't know if it's a physical issue. We don't know if it's a spiritual issue. We don't know if it's a, a, an emotional or relational issue. We, we don't know anything. But the Bible says that Paul writes, and Paul is writing this letter to the, to the Corinthians. And he says, I've urged or I've pleaded with the Lord three times. And that word in the original language literally means to throw yourself on the ground and cry out and beg for mercy. To cry out and beg for help. So Paul is saying that whatever he's dealing with, whatever he's going through in his life at that moment, he said, I cried out. I spent nights crying out to God. God, help me. God, take it away. And here he writes God's response in verse in chapter 12, verse 9. He said, and each time he said, my grace is all you need. You know, I think God knows what he's doing most of the time. That's a joke. All the time, obviously. And I believe that there's a reason why God makes it a point for Paul not to tell us what he's going through. We don't know what he's going through. We don't know what he's facing. We don't know if it's a financial issue. We don't know if it's a marital issue. We don't know if, if it's a, a, a relational issue, a, a physical issue, uh, an emotional issue. We have no idea what his issue is. But whatever it is, it is something so excruciating and so aggravating that he's literally crying out to God, saying, God, God, please take it away. Please take it away. And the Bible says that he did this three times. And God turns around and says, my grace is all you need. In other words, I'm not going to take it away from you. I'm going to give you a grace to overcome and endure what you're going through. And God makes it a point not to tell us what it is. Why? Because if it was a physical issue, we would think, well, his grace is for physical issues. If it was an emotional issue, well, we would apply it to emotional things. If it was a, a, a relational issue, well, when we think, well, his grace is good enough for our relational problems. But God makes it a point not to tell us what Paul is going through. Why? Because he wants you to know that it doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter what you're facing. It could be a physical issue, a financial issue, an emotional issue. It doesn't matter. But whatever you're going through, he wants you to know that his grace is all you need. And then Paul gets this revelation because God says, my grace is all you need. My power works best and weakness. In other words, what God is saying, my grace is all you need. Why? Because what that means is that when you're at your weakest, God is at his strongest. When you're at your wit's end, that's when God shows up. What an amazing God that we serve, that God loves to show up, and he loves to show off. He loves to take your need. He loves to take you at your most hardest, difficult, trivial moment, and show up and show off, and say, my strength is perfected in your weakness. When you can't, God says, I can. When you feel like stepping out, God comes and steps in. 
And Paul is like, this is what happened. I was crying out about this. I was suffering over this. But God told me that his grace is sufficient, that his power, it works best in my weakness. Now look at Paul says, he gets this epiphany, this revelation. He says, so now I am glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. See, the devil wants you to bring shame for your weakness. He wants you to bring shame for your mistakes and your failures and your past. And God wants to bring glory through your shame, through your past. He wants, that's how God, the power of God shows up and he shows off. I love it when my God shows off. When everybody counts you out, God counts you in. That is why when Jesus is being referred to in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. The joy set before him, the kara, that, that means the future grace he endured. And, and so here Paul, he gets his understanding of grace and how his grace is, con how him being rooted in grace is is what brings joy to his life. And look at what Paul writes to, uh, to the Thessal church at Thessalonica, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 17 through 20. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, after we were separated from you for a little while, though our hearts never left you, we tried very hard to come back because of our intense longing to see you again. We wanted very much to come to you. And I, Paul, tried again and again. But Satan prevented us. See, God wants you to know that you're not the only one going through issues. You're not the only one going through adversity. You're not the only one being fought. Even Paul, the, 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 the apostle gangster of Jesus Christ, the Bible says that I tried over and over again, but Satan prevented us. Satan was against us. Satan. But look at what he says in verse 19. After all, what gives us hope and joy and what will be our proud reward and crown as we stand before our Lord Jesus when he returns. He says, it is you. Yes, you are our pride and joy. You are our kara. See what Paul was saying, the joy in heaven that I'll have is not that I'm in heaven and not in hell. My joy is that you are going to be in heaven with me. Not that I'm going to be there alone, but that all of you are going to be there. That you're going to make it into the future glory. Paul gets a revelation of grace and he takes joy in the fact that he's not going to be the only one in heaven. All of you. He goes, everybody I prayed with. Everybody I preach to, everybody I disciple, what's going to bring me joy is the fact that what I'm receiving, you're going to receive. See, when people aren't happy, it's normally tied to circumstances that they are in. But when people aren't joyful, it's because they have forgotten to be grateful for the condition that they are in, and that is in Christ. So how do we go from being grateful to joyful? First of all, you've got to know that Jesus is the source of joy. Jesus is the source of joy. That's why he says, I am the vine. 
And if you abide in me, I'll remain in you. I am the vine. I, I am the source. You know what a vineyard looks like? You have down all these vines down the trellis. It goes down the vine, the branches, but then it goes down to that big, thick root. And Jesus says, I am the root. That root is me. And there's not going to be any joy in your branch unless Jesus is flowing in you. No body, no destination, no experience, no drug. Nothing will bring that durable, permeating joy because joy is found in Jesus. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me, I'll remain in you. What does that mean? That means that everything I have is going to be flowing into you. Everything that I have, all that I have, all the love, all the hope, all the courage, all the strength that I have will be flowing in you. What does that mean? That means that you're going to have the fruit. And the fruit, Galatians 5, is the result of the root. The fruit is the result of the root. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, kara, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruit is connected to the root, so the source is Jesus. So what does that mean? That means that we've got to stay connected to Jesus. He's the vine. There's a reason why the enemy will do everything in his life to disconnect you. If you look at the text, Jesus himself says 10 times to remain or abide. 10 times within six verses, he says, if you remain, if you remain, if you remain, if you remain. So the focus isn't on us pursuing happiness or even pursuing joy. The focus has to be, I've got to stay connected to Jesus. That's why the devil will do everything in his power to try to disconnect you. How do we stay connected to Jesus? we got to stay connected to his body. What is the body? The church. See, one of the, the diabolical plans of the pandemic was to get everybody isolated to get used to doing church at home. And let me tell you, I have nothing against online church. Thank you for watching. Those of you that are watching online right now, at the end, you can send your tithes and offering. But let me tell you that online church was never meant to be a substitute. It was only meant to be a supplement because there's nothing like being connected to the body of Christ. So, the devil will do anything to disconnect you. He'll use your husband. He'll use your spouse. He'll use your kids. How many times have you gotten in, in a fight at home like, well, we're not going to church. And the devil's like, yeah disconnected pull the plug he'll use your boss your co-worker he'll even use other church people church leaders he might even use your pastor because his plan and his purpose is to do whatever he can to disconnect you you know as a father you will do things that you would never do before 
never in my life have I put Christmas lights up at my house. But when you have a little boy say, Daddy, cripples whites, cripples whites. Like, how can you not? So now if you drive by my house, I have cripples whites. And I have the biggest, ugliest Mr. Blow-Up Grinch on my front yard. Because I have two little boys that are infatuated with Mr. Grinch. Micah, Micah says, bad guy, bad guy, bad guy. But you know what's interesting about this Mr. Grinch? Is that when you plug him in, he's all puffed up. And he has his light shining. But the minute I pull the plug, the air goes out, the light goes out, the joy goes out. Isn't that what happens to us when we disconnect from the vine, when we disconnect from the source? When we choose to disconnect, we are falling right into the devil's hands. That's what he wants. So we have to stay connected. Look, Paul goes on to write Galatians 5, 23 through 26. There is no law against these things. Talking about the fruit. Verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Doesn't that sound a lot like remain or abide in him? So living in the Spirit and by the Spirit, he's reiterating the context that we have to stay connected. But look at what he says next. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. You know, nothing can kill a spirit of joy faster than jealousy of another person. Now, I know we don't have that problem here, but in Del Rio, I'm just going to throw this out there. Maybe they're watching online. Nothing will kill the spirit of joy faster in your life than for you to be jealous of something that God is doing in someone else's life. If you want a quick way to cut off the flow of joy in your life, make it about you and be jealous of what God has done or is doing for somebody else. All you're doing is cutting off the flow of joy in your life because you've forgotten that you have been saved by grace, that you have been given the promise of grace and glory. And I'm here to tell you that I don't need anything else in my life to give me a sense of gratitude than knowing that I have the promise of grace and glory. So my goal is not to pursue happiness, but it's to stay connected to Jesus. If you stay connected to the root, the vine, then the kara, the joy, will grow on your branch. And then it says, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that he will be even more fruitful. Let me tell you, some of the joy that you're going to experience is the pruning. And let me tell you, pruning hurts. Pruning doesn't feel good. Pruning feels uncomfortable. But look at what he says. I'm going to prune you 
so that you can be more fruitful. See, God is not satisfied with this level of fruit in your life. When God knows that you have the potential to be more, to do more, to have more, to produce more, He loves you enough that He's willing to strip away things. He's willing to cut off things that are holding you back and holding you down. And see, some of you right now, you have people that have walked out in your life. Let me tell you, that's part of the pruning. They needed to go because all they were going to do is hold you back. So it doesn't matter who blocked you on Instascam or Facebook or Snapchat. It doesn't matter. That may be part of the pruning. And for you, for some of you, that, that God bringing a cleansing and a pruning to your life, removing, removing things that needed to go away so that I can be more fruitful. Then verse 12, he says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. See, joy is made complete in service to others. You will not become your happiest by investing all of your time and resources pursuing happiness. You will be at your happiest when you spend all your time and resources trying to bring joy to someone else. That's what he says. It's my joy in you. And so the bottom line is, the reality is, you're not going to walk out of here and just be more joyful. I know the preaching was great. My humble opinion. Really? You couldn't just laugh with everybody? Because joy is a process. Happiness comes and goes. It's fleeting. It's, it's elusive. But joy is a process. But happiness comes in an instant, and as fast as it comes, it goes. So what do you have to do? You have to commit to the process of joy. Vineyard making is a process. Vine dressing, vine dressing is a process. If you commit to the process, if you stay connected, then joy is going to flow and permeate from your life. If you commit to inform your circumstances of your condition, instead of letting your circumstance inform you of your condition. Why? Because joy isn't informed by circumstances. True joy forms every circumstance. That means that when you're joyful, your condition doesn't tell you who you are or what you are. Your joy tells your condition and your circumstances who you are in Christ. That's what true joy is. That's what true joy is. And so I want you to stay committed to the process. Staying connected. Let me tell you, it's not easy. The devil is doing everything he can to disconnect you. And the reality is, and, and, and I hate to say this, and I'm not doing this to be discouraging or disparaging. The reality is that some of you may not be connected here next year. And if you're connected at another church, great. I don't care. But I would hate for you to disconnect completely. Some of you are going to allow whatever circumstance or situation to disconnect you from the vine. And that's why Jesus says, if you want your joy to be complete, you've got to stay connected to Jesus. 
so that his joy, what does that mean? That means that whatever he takes joy in will be in you. And now your joy will be complete. Will you stand? Lord Jesus, we love you today. We thank you for the gift of grace and glory. We thank you because we're not only saved, but we are also seated in heavenly places. God, thank you because we have the cross and we have the crown. God, and forgive us for not valuing the gift of salvation, the gift of grace, and allowing our lives to be in the pursuit of happiness instead of the pursuit of you. God, I pray that you would give us the spiritual, emotional, physical, and mental fortitude to stay connected to you no matter what, that we'll hold on to you like Jacob did on that, on that day where he wrestled with you and wasn't willing to let you go. God, I pray that no matter what happens over the course of the next year, the next months, the next weeks, God, the enemy would not be able to disconnect us but that we would stay connected so that our joy would be full and our joy would be in you and would be complete. We ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us. And a special thanks to those who have given to support this ministry. Without you, none of this is possible. If you like this podcast, please like and subscribe and share it on social media. Thank you for listening. God bless you.